0: Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of arts, videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Bye Bye weekly behind Behind-the-Scenes DM-only livestream crafting Icewind Dale, which I build, right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you're playing characters of Alravin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this video is not meant for you and will be full of spoilers, but the rest of you are A-OK. We stream our sessions live on YouTube every Friday, watch all of our D&D sessions and some reviews here on the channel, you can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson for our campaign. We use roll20.net. And for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs and occasionally tell bedtime stories involving Eldritch tentacle horrors. Demnics. <laughs> when you should say that I was just uh bringing some tentacle spells over to nat's stat blocks. I realize I still need to. Uh, beef up her stat block and make sure I'm prepared for uh, what very well may be a big battle here. In fact, I'm starting to kind of try and crystallize this particular moment that I have crafted, which is a a climax of sorts for a lot of the factions the players have been dealing with, as well as the uh, sort of boss battle of the Aetherin section before we get into the Spire section. It's going to be very tricky, as I mentioned on Monday's stream, because... I can't really necessarily force the players to do anything. I have led the horse to water being the spire entrance. I've given them all these other horses, and now my analogy falls apart as the horses want to fight with each other instead of just drink from the damn water themselves. What I what I am looking at, excuse me, I get some cotton my throat. Is you know, looking at video game design and how to force the players to choose mutually exclusive factions. And I do want to make sure that each one of these particular wizard groups has their specific desires that do not align with one another. So, to that end, Valin's desire is that she, I think, remains loyal to the Arcane Brotherhood, which means she has the, you know, it belongs in a museum uh, philosophy of everything here, and in the Mithalar, Uh she, I mean, she's, st- you know, there is some selfishness involved where, obviously, being the one to turn this over to the arcane brotherhood would you know increase her standing by a ton and basically give her like you know ranking member status i guess she's already ranking member you know higher up in the echelon and socializing and all that so it still benefits her quite a bit uh but her whole uh motivation would be i want to be able to take this mythilar and bring it back to the arcane brotherhood and uh that's that would be the right place for it the safe place for it yada 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 Avarice, and I have a big, long monologue prepared for her, would basically argue, uh, and I kind of like that she would be specifically um, treating Valen like the rich and powerful, and her as like an outsider who has had to work you know, her butt off for everything and uh, has a real chip on her shoulder because of that. And so her philosophy would be we can... This city itself is a vast, you know, treasure trove of riches. We could use the Mithlar to try to restore the city and, um, and then we can, you know, be on top of that. And basically maybe create our own sort of arcane brotherhood type situation, but, you know, rule over this netheral city. So hers is also a bit selfish, but in a different way. So she's kind of doesn't want to necessarily go back to the arcane brotherhood. She treats them like the, you know, rich and uh, powerful. And she's, you know, a stepping stone for her. And she would rather have her own system here, and she's, you know, has this faction that she's built up, and she's treating it like a real, I don't know, grassroots <laughs> situation. Uh, so that would be her motivation. Is so. So Valens is like, let's take the Mythalar back to the Arcane Brotherhood. Uh Avarice's is, is let's use the Mithalar to maybe restore the city and try to recreate, you know, what the Netherworld will do, we're doing, and have, you know, magic users on top, and and create this, you know, powerful society of maybe even restore this whole flying city if we can yada 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 and then you've got valish and neslantamir who are definitely the most selfish centered and they very much just want the mithlar for themselves to power themselves up um both of them maybe even um being a little you know th- there might be a little in- interesting interpersonal dynamics there or maybe valish you know would step over her to take that power for himself um, and maybe she's more loyal to him because she used all her power to basically just go and break him out of prison first before even coming here. But they would, they kind of know the power of the Mythlar could maybe be used, maybe that's something they discovered, uh, to ascend to Godhood, which is exactly what the players kind of discovered is what ha- happened to Aurel. So they would be just, we want the Mythlar for ourselves, and thus... They wouldn't really be able to sell that plan to the players because <laughs> that doesn't really, you know, like, why would uh, we help you just become gods when we already know you're bad people? And I think they know that. So I think where, where Avarice might want to wheel and deal with the players a little bit and try to actually convince Val Robin and Edmund to an extent, this kind of involves both their stories, to maybe, you know, see her point of view over Valin so that can be the more social dynamic. I think Valish and Nas both probably think that the gig is up especially before they had a bargaining chip that was their plan they were going to go and do the other towers and have the missing pieces of the right that the players needed and that was going to be their whole bargaining chip it's like well you know we have what you guys need so you have to align with us however uh the players were able to uh circumvent that by hiring hiring <laughs> <laughs> Bargaining with the
1: uh, ice devil as a contract agent. Uh, I apologize. I'm I just coughing up a storm. Uh, spring is here.
0: I choke on my words. <clears throat> I walked outside. That was a mistake. I literally choke on my throat. Um, not like I have to talk right now. But they know that, well, crap. The ice devil went around and got. Um, like they were aware of the situation essentially is what I've teased and and Ice Devil teased that too is like I have made a new bargain I've altered the deal but I don't alter it further and so they they realize okay crap the players were able to get this information without us but now we basically double down on just making a bargain with this Ice Devil in order to take the information we need from the players so in other words I'm thinking that might be the way I can try to force a fight here With this group specifically, the Valish and Nass group, because I don't see the players being able to necessarily talk their way out of this one. I don't see their plans aligning anything. The only thing the players could do is just generically say, alright, look. We, like, nobody can get to the Mithalar yet. It's not like you can just go in this elevator and get to the Mithalar. You still have to make it through whatever this area is, and then you have to circumvent and get past Uriolarthus, or at least what we think Uriel Arthus is still doing. According to, hey, we've got a we've got one of the high necromancers right here, who cites the fact that because this force field is still up and the security lockdown is in place, Uriolarthus or some uh, manifestation of him must still be existing that we need to take out in order to even get to the Mithalar. So that could be an argument they could make is like, hey, this is like we don't need to do this right now. We have to go and further and be able to do and get a little bit further beyond this. Which is something I talked about on Monday, that one of their options uh, to get out of this would be to just delay it. If they wanted to say, hey, let's just table this big, like, tense <laughs> situation, uh, everybody, you know, take it down a peg, let us go in, deal with Irial Arthas, and then we unlock the Bath of the Mithilar. We'll discuss things from there. Which could happen. It's a little anticlimactic. And I'm curious to know how you all feel about that, or if you feel like I should be a little bit more forceful. I, I feel like maybe Avarice would would be, uh, would be see more to reason for that, and she would kind of agree with that um, assessment, and, and she's more calculating and would realize, like, yes, sure. Whereas Nass is borderline insane, and Valish, he was in prison the last two years, so I feel like they're way more desperate about the situation. So maybe they would force the fight, and if that was the case, and then that could be the boss fight, then Avarice would just back off with her troops, um, versus having to join in a fight, if, if, if that's satisfactory to their social uh, diplomacy scene. So that allows us to have both a, so- a social scene and a possible combat encounter, because I do think Baelish and Naz would probably force the issue. And the players could argue, like, well, you need us to open the path anyway, so I could do one of two things. I could have everybody wait for them to open the door and then we do a battle, depending on how I want to do the right sequence. Or I just have some kind of badass villain line where Veilish and Nas are like, well, we'll just kill you all and then we'll take the answers we need from your corpse. Because, like, I don't know, maybe they have to speak with the dead or something. Or the, like the last survivor will spill the beans or something. Like we can, you know, we can learn the rights from wherever we need, like, we'll, we'll get it done, we'll just take you out anyway, which, that that could probably work. <laughs> I do like the idea they could just say some badass line, like, we'll take what we need from your dead bodies, and then roll for initiative. I'm tempted to do that. Because I believe, as we discovered, there are no notes about how, uh, how the right actually works in terms of entering, other than the fact that it sounds like each person must actually do this thing, which... The speaking a secret about yourself and comparing another secret, speak a secret about yourself aloud and then compelling another to share a secret with you does sound like every single person has to do it. But if every single person has to do it, I don't know if that would be too tedious. And also that would clearly be visible. So all the other wizards would be able to like watch the players doing this unless they have a way of, you know, again, defeating them or telling them to back off. We're just saying, hey, we'll just, because one argument they could make is like, well, we'll just sit here and watch you guys do it. (laughs) And then we can make it inside. And then uh, there's nothing you can do to stop us from making it ahead. Or maybe the players would really try to do something like, all right, fine. We'll, you know, here's the right. You guys go on ahead, clear the way for us, and then we'll make it in. That's a bit of a problem for me as a DM, because obviously I want the players to experience this little mini dungeon crawl and not these NPCs. We take the approach that I think Critical Role did, that if they ascended, they would replace Aurel. Help us become gods to stop Aurel's never-ending winter. Um, Possibly. I think the players would know because of the background that they have with Velash and Nass, because they know they're both bad people. They're villains. One of them was literally convicted and sent to prison. The other one, you know, essentially unleashed a xenomorph on a prison to break him out and killed a lot of people. Um... That these two are not they're villains, they're absolute villains, and the only argument they could make is like, yeah, let us ascend to godhood and then we can battle Oral and then restore you know daylight to the Dale. The players would have to be incredibly naive naive and foolish to be like, yeah, that sounds all right, but then we also created like villainous gods, so that may be a problem down the road, <laughs> and who's to say they would even trust the fact that they would you know battle oral? I guess the argument maybe you're making is that they would replace Oral, but I don't see. Um, that's not necessarily the way I'm going with it. I think the Mithilard has the ability to just turn people, uh, possibly ascend them into very powerful form, but it's very tricky to be able to do that as well. Um, but not that it would be able to transfer that energy necessarily, because if it's got, if it's repowered, that means Oral's power would have been, um, diminished, which that's, that's an angle, but it wouldn't make sense because she just used a bunch of her power to, you know, turn the everlasting, uh, knight on. So it doesn't really make sense that her power would have been diminished seems the way you have built Nas and Valen up they should push for a fight here. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Refus and Avarice would fight at the very end with her men. Uh maybe I could just have her back off like I said if if the players if, if I I really want to push a pretty strong social scene in here, we haven't really had another a big um follow up with Avarice. Uh, I was kind of half hoping the players would maybe go back and talk to her and we could do, we could have done a scene then, but instead they kind of pushed on, which, you know, makes sense open world wise. You were closer to the other objectives. And she'll even mention that, which is going to be a funny bit of me. Like if, again, if I were designing an open world video game, I would have a little line in there that says, Hey, if the players reach this point without talking to, to Avarice first and include this line of like, Oh, I'm disappointed. You didn't come and visit me. And we could have hashed out. Some kind of deal or or negotiations. Instead, we have to meet here under these conditions, under these more tense conditions, (laughs) because she's still, you know, of all Robin's whole backstory is that he was hired by her to spy on Edmund. So she would definitely be willing to wheel and deal here. This is kind of just a show of force and as a tease to what you may have to deal with uh, if you do want to try to confront her. Scene could get complicated. Yes, indeed. Uh, but that's, you know, all I can do as a DM is try to prepare and possibly presume what the players are do will do. Obviously, <laughs> they could certainly surprise me in a lot of different ways. And then we have, like I said, the actual right. Like, how long does that take to perform? Uh, does each person have to do this? I, I know Demnix and Stan, uh, both through the YouTube comments or on Discord, mentioned possibly a, a, a solution would be to limit how many people can enter the spire given one uh, performance of the rite of the Arcane Octad. So maybe the circle can only allow so many people that you, uh, that step seven, have to draw a circle on the ground, or perhaps it only allows eight people in there because eight's kind of this big important number for Etherin. It was the eight schools of magic and the eight wizards at the top, and they have to sit in the eight chairs, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so th- those are all interesting solutions I could work with Um, I don't know if it will even become relevant necessarily in terms of like, oh, but only, you know, we can make it in uh, given the right. I do know that the big thing here is you have to have a wand crafted from the
1: Nether Oak, which only uh, the players have. And they only have the one wand. They only made one wand. So you
0: would have to, so that's the big key. You would have to give that wand to other people, although distressingly, Edmund is also attuned to that wand, so I kind of wrote myself into a corner there. So he would have to give the wand to each person so that they could perform the rite, if I wanted to go with the angle of the individual has to perform it. So the options are each individual has to perform the entire rite, which uh, if it were fewer steps, it might not be as tedious, but the whole, like, the, the, the secret, I mean, the fun thing is I think the secret thing is fun, right? Like having each person have to share a secret uh, and then having another person sharing a secret with you can be fun. Maybe for like the first three times. And then once you get over it, you're like, all right, well, how many more? Se- Do you have to just tell the same secret to everybody? Like, that, you know, that kind of sounds weird. Um, but we only have the one wand. So they would have to just kind of give once you've opened the path for yourself, which you're not even opening a path. You're just you're kind of turning on the ability for you to pass through the force field, which is interesting. So there is no like door you're opening as written here. It's just you gain the ability. It says any creature that performs all eight steps of the ritual in the correct order outside the spire can pass through the force field. So you're essentially gaining the ability to just pass through the force field by doing these steps. So maybe that would be... but maybe it would be interesting to have everybody have to share secrets and do all those different things. Um, and, And it's interesting, you can allow the players to kind of think outside the box when it comes to summoning a flame in your palm. Would you like a pretzel? Is that why you brought me the entire bag of pretzels? I
1: brought it! You did! Got it! I did. I did got it.
0: You did got it. There you go. What do you say? It just runs away. Uh, Social skills. <laughs> we teach them slowly and surely. So what do y'all think? I guess that's the big question. Is do... Do I want to have every single person perform the right? have Edmund give everybody the wand in turn that wants to make it inside? Uh, or do we just have one person perform the right? Because right now the players don't know the details of that. Cadavix would be able to tell them that, however. he He should be able to know, even if maybe this has never been used before, he would know the protocol here. So even before trial and error, if they think to ask him or he can just share that information, he can tell them, hey, each of us is going to have to perform this right um, in each of these steps to make it inside, in which case, you know, everybody here will be able to observe us. So how do you guys plan on getting around that <laughs> in terms of they'll be able to, you know, waltz inside? Or maybe they don't need to get inside um, because, the again, the Mithilar is visible on the ground floor of Aetherin. It's just protected by a force field right now. So you don't necessarily even have to make it inside to get to the Mithalar, which is a comment that, uh, you know, in- anybody would know. And that would be something that the players would just be able to realize by looking at the map or something I, as a DM can inform them. Like, hey, you all can tell that the Mithalar is accessible outside of the Spire, but it's just that the force field prevents anybody from getting in. Now, the force field, which is very important note that it, I don't think it mentions here, I assume... Uh, now I have to pause because it could be an interesting... Uh, wrinkle in it the way it's worded it says you can pass through the force field thereafter does that mean the force field anywhere so once you perform the right you can simply get in and make it to the Mithalar that's
1: interesting but you would still not hmm then what does Iriel stop I guess he's still attuned to it to go back down to the Mithalar
0: section now uh, What part of the map is that? I don't know what number that is. Let's go back to the map screen. That's something I actually haven't thought of. I just I thought of that right now. If I if I actually do want to say you're just you can you can make it through the force field Then why wouldn't you just waltz through the force field and make it to the Mithalar right here? I don't think the Mithalar has its own thing. It's just maybe Y23. Does that mention it? Oh yeah, it does. Ether and Is enclosed within the force field surrounding the spire of Uriel Arthas. Reach it, a character must perform the rite of the Arcane Octad to lower the force field.
1: Hmm. Why do you need to get inside the spire? First time a creature tries to attune to the Mithilar, a Tomb Tapper arrives. Unless
0: Eriolarthus is destroyed, Demulich is already attuned to the Mithilar. If iriolarthus senses another creature is trying to use the Mithilar, it always disallows the attempt. Like I guess it's something you can do if somebody else attunes to an item. And flies to the mythological location, discouraging any further tampering with the device.
1: You could bypass the entire spire. Why wouldn't you? That's so weird. That's so weird. I'm
0: flabbergasted. <laughs> I mean, obviously I can write myself out of it by just saying it only opens this one path of the spire. But maybe that's a reason why they all want the right now because they could just get to the Mithalar. But what maybe they don't know, and the players do know, is that, and and they've only recently learned through Katavix, is that uh, Uralarthus must still be attuned to the Mithalar in some way, and yet maybe hasn't used its energy to reach godhood, but instead has used it to just, basically what Avarice is arguing, which is just to try to repower the city and keep it functional. Um, she's just kind of ambitiously thinking she would be able to repair it or something in some way. All the Arcane Brotherhood basically think they have the power to deal with it. So one avenue, maybe creating more problems for me than solutions, would be that this you would be able to just waltz in there, but you couldn't actually do anything with the Mithilar until somebody deals with Uriolarthus in the Spire. Or I just ignore all that and say you can't actually get to the Mithilar the force, uh, the, the, the right only lets you into the spire entrance specifically, and then going in there and dealing with Uriel Arthas will actually shut down the entire force field completely, and thus unlock the way to the Mytholar. That was my initial thought process, and I may just keep that because otherwise I would have to probably start rewriting stuff. I wonder if this part of the adventure asking about a secret is to help reveal player secrets. Should you have gotten this far without people knowing? Uh, it absolutely. is Yeah, that's the whole thing is that you, you start the campaign. You start with a player secret, which is a great part of it. Although I obviously had to change and update a lot of my uh, secrets. But yes, that is it's cool that it comes to uh, fruition at that moment. Although I think throughout the campaign, we've had some fun reveals about what player secrets uh, have been. But it's interesting that you could make it this far and then have to reveal it. Although, they also gets tricky where somebody like Valravin has you've already revealed their secret. Which, you could just have the player come up with something and I would roll with that, right? Just whatever they want. Like, oh, I stole a piece of bread when I was a kid or something. It's like, yeah, it's a secret. That's fine. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like your big, bad secret. Each person recites it. Edmund's wand gives him the ability to allow entry. Uh, could say that wand bearers had
1: the job of opening the door unlocked by the right. That's interesting. Uh Nate. Each player has to recite. So each player has to perform the entire rite. Where's my rite at?
0: I think it the top, I think. So each person has to perform all the steps. Uh, but Edmund, having the wand, gives him the door, the job of opening the door. Force field protects the driver's seat. Driver's seat requires attunement. Demilich currently attuned. You're maybe try to become a god. Messed it up now as a Demi-Lich. Well, he's not a Demi-Lich in my game. He's an Elder Brain. I'm really going with the Elder Brain angle. Because I like the whole Brain in the Jar thing. I've already um, teased that with the Tower of Necromancy. I could tease it more with Veneranda if I wanted to. I basically explain how all the wizards who didn't become Gnothics are brains in a jar. And thus it makes sense that the biggest wizard of all would be the biggest, you know, brain in a jar of all. Though in this case, the whole boss room will be like the jar. And it'll be this big, creepy, um, villainous lair with an Elder Brain.
1: I have three kids with Francine. <laughs> yeah, I like that.
0: Um, I I think I do like what you were suggesting, Nate, about letting each person recite. Uh, and, and that's something you know I because I've got so many NPCs. The advantage of having all these NPCs is I, as the DM, can tell the players information because Cadavix would be able to know all of this information or should be able to know it. So he can explain to the players, you know, whispering them on a, as an aside if needed to, and say, uh, you know, hey, everybody has to perform the rite, but um, only the person holding
1: the wand can uh, allow entry into the spire. Now there's nothing stopping the other factions from going and making their own wand. Uh,
0: you know, that's not like a unique thing. They could try to go do that, but at least that gives the players a good enough head start. And I would imagine time-wise, given the time it would take another faction to go and get the wand, by then I assume the players will have just unlocked the way to the Mythalar anyway, and the factions will probably be smart enough to just, you know, camp outside, uh, depending on if they don't
1: battle the players here. <laughs> the truth about Genocider. Genociders just tap water with maggot makes. Them hand waving after the first one. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the best solution. Um, Perform the right
0: to gain entry, but the wand. Opens the door, so it's the key. Basically like the wand is the key, but performing the right is what gives you like the security clearance needed to pass. Maybe argue like that. But you would need both parts, but that allows not every player has to have the wand and not necessarily admin has to literally like
1: give the wand around. So he could just basically touch, you know, have the wand over somebody while they do all the things.
0: And then Cadavix could, if the players are really struggling, Cadavix could also explain, like, it's designed for a test of magic, but, you know, technically it doesn't really, the the right doesn't care if you actually do magic or not, as long as you perform the steps. That's another way, as me at the DM, I can basically dumb it down and be like, look, you can just somehow end up with a flame in your palm, you know, somebody else can shoot magic on it, or you can just light your hand on fire, like, whatever you need to do to make that happen. Uh, and then make sure you just do all the things. I don't know if they have poison though. Did they ever get poison? <laughs> Maybe they can do something. Forget what they have. Somebody, you know what? Somebody, is going to happen that I that I not expect and I'm going to go ahead and call it right now. One of the players is going to reach in that bag of holding and toss that flame skull in the middle of this this jamboree. <laughs> And then all hell will break loose. I think at that point it'll just be a giant roll for initiative, and you know, but that would be exciting because then I could tell the players like, "Hey, this isn't a fight you need to win." Uh, and Valen will definitely say that like, "We just need to get to the door and get inside." At that point, and maybe they'll maybe they'll just open the door and just and you know, or maybe they'll get all the way to the door part and then empty the flame skull and run inside from there or something. I'm, I'm I would not be surprised if that stupid flame skull makes an appearance here. In fact, so much so I'm gonna put it on the map just in case. They had three, they only have two or one left. I think it's one. It's uh Chekhov's Flame Skull. Although we've already seen it, like I said, we've already seen it in action uh during the big Frey to go fight.
1: Which was the real boss fight of the Case of Hunger. Yeah, we're gonna put it Alright down there. So there you go. In case they pop it out, you you heard it here first. Flame Skull might make an appearance. So, I think we're leaning towards at least a partial battle here. I could
0: definitely see Avaris backing off and listening to reason and being like, you know, yeah, let's let's let the players make it inside, deal with your Larthus, and then uh, once the Mythalar appears and the players will have to make another choice, and then if it really comes down to it, where they still have Valen there and, they, you know, Avaris could pull the trigger and just be like, all right, it's battle time. But I could also see Vaelish and Nass being like, no, we're not even gonna let you make it this far. Um, you know, you at this point they've effectively rendered these two um uh, meaningless for the plot <laughs> because they no longer have any uh usefulness for the players, which means me as the DM says, alright, it needs to come to a head now. Like there's no reason to keep them around. You know they're villains. They need to basically force the fight here, and they're probably in the best position to fight the players. Um they're not gonna be any surprise around, but they've got this freaking ice devil ally, which will be a very powerful ally, and then the two of them are Pretty solid stat blocks. I'm also thinking of um, one thing I, I played around with having in her stat block was the ability to summon uh, Deathlock Whites. Originally, was going to have her have to target bodies and summon Deathlock Whites, but there are no bodies around, so I may just have to let her do that uh, because all proper boss fights need some minions. Although the Ice Devil is still pretty powerful, honestly. Hopefully, this will be a pretty fun fight, but it'll come down to how quickly they can shut down the spellcasters. Uh, but even if they have some kind of silence or dispel magic, they both have very powerful auto-attacks they can do without even worrying about magic. Like, yes, uh, Veilish can cast Lightning Bolt and Ice Storm, uh, but he also just has, very importantly, because he's part of that new new wave of, like, hey, you have spell-like abilities that are not spells, uh, that specifically, I believe, can't be counterspelled or dispelled, which is just auto-attack, arcane burst at range, and what is basically a... Fireball that can that doesn't hit allies, I believe. So both of that is very powerful. I also jacked up their hit points, give about 150 hit points each. Yeah. That should be pretty fun. That's uh so he's just a straight up evoker wizard. And then she is kind of a weird Um scaled up Deathlock Mastermind, I think, was the closest stat block I was using. A Deathlock Mastermind Great Old One Patron, but the that stop block is a CR8, so I was going to make her um, a lot stronger than that. But I love his auto attacks, um, a melee attack, and a range attack, and the range attack also restrains, which is cool. Um, I'd say, sh- yeah, shadowy tendrils wrap around you whenever she attacks with her auto attack and does 5d8 necrotic damage. Also jacked up her uh, attack modifier as a plus 9. That should be pretty effective, and that's and she can do two of those any combination with that or her melee attack. Or I was just gonna give her a bunch of very useful spells, it seems pretty. I mean, we already established the fact that she can cast mass suggestion, which I, I could have her try to do that again, where she just casts that on everybody to start the fight. And just, um, I don't even know what she would suggest though. Magically influence up to 12 creatures of your choice. You can see within range. can hear and understand you. Creatures that can't be charmed are immune to this effect. Which unfortunately, I believe Frey is immune to charm, I think. Because she's got the codicil. Just rewarded worded in such a manner as to make the course of action sound reasonable. You cannot do harmful acts to yourself. Maybe she could even suggest them attack Avarice. That would be fascinating. That would be a real interesting way to actually create a three-part fight, wouldn't it? Uh, does that sound reasonable? <laughs> if she suggests it that way? A failed save, but pursues the course of action described to the best of its ability. She could be like, hey, Avarice is, uh, looking to betray you and take you down. You need to destroy her before she can do the same to you. Does that sound reasonable? Uh, attacking, is attacking someone else kind of as a harmful act? Suggestion is always very murky.
1: It's a very murky waters. Um... Is it not concentration? I just looked at this. It'd be a pretty big deal if it's not. Is it,
0: is, it, is it mass suggestion, not concentration? Holy shit! How do you get rid of it then? You just have to complete it. Uh, yes, Frey does have a sphere of silence, which, uh, as I just mentioned, that's something they that would be a great tactic here with a bunch of wizards. Um, but their backup plan, a this the the orb, you know, similar to silence. If you throw it like a grenade, then it's in that one area. Um or if you know, the smarter thing would do is she keeps it on her and runs at them, which yeah, that'd be great. Um, but they still have their auto attacks, they'd be able to do that. So those shadow bolts, um, all the evoker wizard stuff, like they just wouldn't they wouldn't be able to cast their spells. I mean they all require verbal components, which I believe most spells do. Uh or obviously they can just move out of
1: range if needed to. Mass suggestion does not have concentration. Wow. But if any of your companions damage a creature affected by the spell, the spell ends for that creature. Okay. That still might be an interesting play, though.
0: I need to write down some secrets for all the wizards in case the players want them to come. Valen. Oh, Valen, I killed my parents and animated them in order to attend the Radical 80s Mansion Party. (laughs) That's true. I need to come up with secrets uh, for uh, Valen... Uh I I'd I would be shocked if the player somehow let Evers and everybody make it inside. That would be kinda nuts. But at least Valin and Katavix, uh I guess would need to have secrets. Yeah, I'll come up with something. Uh which Katavix's big secret was probably that he and uh Aureliana, I think was the bullshit name I came up with. Uh were lovers and that was maybe uh maybe maybe that was a secret that he already shared with everybody, so Yes, maybe that wouldn't count. Um, Nas. Oh yeah, I was thinking about giving her legendary actions too. That might be too much. This is going to be a crazy fight. This is back when I was going to make her the the sole boss fight here, which which maybe that's still going to be the case. Uh, with just her and and Valish and the Ice Devil. I don't know if I should give her legendary actions though. She does have an Aura. I think I stole this from the Dreadwraith though, and I think we already used it effectively with the rate, so it might be too much. But everybody within 10 feet of her must succeed on a DC 15 con save. Take 2d10 necrotic damage, and have your hit point maximum reduced by that amount. Now one thing I haven't talked about is the fact that Nash should still be inhabiting the body of a Frost Druid. But do I actually use the Frost Druid abilities, or do I just have her pop out... Uh, it, you, you, don't, you could almost use the Frost Druid like a Wild Shape, like you have to get through the Frost Druid stat block first, which is gent- not strong at all, I mean, especially at this level. Um, but then once it's destroyed, then she pops out and becomes the Ghost and has all these other abilities. Frost Druid stat block is like, but I don't remember it being... Well, CR5
1: is better than I thought. Uh, I guess she could Wild Shape, which would be weird. This beast form. Ninth level spellcaster is a druid. Most of these are not great
0: combat spells, though. Moonbeam is probably the best one. Conjure animals uh, would be crazy. The player is usually smart enough to fight the conjurer. How powerful can we make these
1: beasts? One beast of CR2 or lower. Technically, do it at fifth level. Choose one of the summoning options.
0: You cast a spell using certain high-level spell slots. You choose one of the summoning options above, and more creatures appear. You get twice as many with a 5th-level spell slot. So at 5th-level, I could summon, at best, 2 CR2 beasts. What is that, like 2 bears? That's true. Ice Storm is probably the best bet. Is that the concentration one or the instant one? I feel like there's 2 icy AoEs. Okay, this is the instant one. 2 bludgeoning and 4d6 cold damage. Yeah, and then you could even upscale that at the 5th level and just use that as her one turn, basically, and then her auto attacks are nothing, though. Doesn't even like a basic ranged... But maybe that'd be more... The bad thing is you kind of want her stronger abilities to help, you know, with the Ice Devil charging forward and Baelish and everything, but maybe it's more interesting to have... The, the bad thing is it'd be if they defeat... You know, Valus and the Ice Devil, and then finally defeat her. And then she pops out and becomes like, uh, you know, her true form revealed. But maybe the combat has waned by then. But I do like her summoning a bunch of uh, Deathlock Whites as
1: minions. Which I could certainly use. Maybe more minions. Deathlock Whites. Grave Bolts. Life Drain. Also the hit point maximum reduced. Such a pain in the ass. Good way
0: to weaken the players. Uh, they also can each cast Fear, Hold Person, and Misty Step once per day. Those are fantastic spells, put on minions. My goodness. And would it be more? It'd be more easier as a DM for me to run it like, whenever she pops out, um, she also summons a bunch of Deathlock Whites, versus trying to do a legendary action thing where it's like, all right, and then now she summons a White or something be cooler, I think, just to do this big phase boss fight where uh, the whites just all come out at once. I don't know how many to use, though. Maybe I've got too much going on in general. Yeah, the wild shape. Oh, she does have chain shape. Sorry, it's part of her thing. Fox, mountain goat, owl, or wolf. Uh, None of those are bears. That would be a big pain in the ass because then she shifts, so you have to take out the shifted form Then you have to take out her druid form, because we all know, which there's an interesting contention on the, I I did see the druid in 1D&D where they tried to fix that. Be like, no, you don't don't get this big HP buff, and everybody freaked out about that. But I I do think druids need some kind of balance, because currently, I I don't necessarily think, for example, a circle of the moon druid should be the best freaking tank in the game. (laughs) Just because of all the extra hit points they can have uh so i i agree that something needs to be done maybe they swung the pendulum too far in the other direction but it is i think the 5e druid is very very cool i actually would be inspired by the D movie and say look what if druids weren't actually full spell casters they were half or no spell casters and they were just had maybe spell like abilities and went all in on the shape shifting like that would be a pretty cool class and then that would justify why their shape-shifting is so powerful. But the fact that they are full spellcasters and have such incredibly powerful shape-shifting abilities, granted that's the Circle of the Moon that mainly has it, but still, uh, that's what makes it the most powerful druid, is kind of bananas in 5th edition. I say that as somebody who's a big fan of shape-shifting and druids in a lot of RPGs. They would have to burn through that and the druid stat block, and then that would unleash her ghostly form, which is essentially inhabiting this uh, body... Although it's weird that they kind of almost had her inhabit like a zombie-like figure, because I think it was—I mean, it was a I guess—they were near death or something. I argued, I forget. It was many sessions ago. Yeah, I think it's going to be too much. Oh, you mean the whole? Yeah. Well, the nice thing is we're at the very beginning of this scenario, right? And yes, we have. and, And this is the hard part about a DM is I'll have to just time like how long do I want the social scene to last versus when do I pull the trigger on the fight. Because I think I will be 90% leaning towards at least having Velish and Nass fight the party. Um, I could very much have Avarice step back, and then that's the one big battle they have. And then they can unlock the way inside. And yes, this could be a full session. I definitely don't want to take more than one session. We need to get to the damn Spire. I think I'm going to get to the Fireworks Factory. I don't necessarily know if I will have her shift, though. I think just having her uh, pass something like Ice Storm... She's a spellcaster at heart, so I should maybe craft guidance and resistance. Um, Don't I mean I could just give her basic druid cantrips and have her cast those. Wish druids had a go. Do druids have a good go-to offensive spell like a magic missile or something? Is it is it vine whip or thorn whip or something? Something whip whipping it good. Oral does do that. We'll have to talk about that oral fight though, um, because the players will be. Much higher
1: level than normally. Thorn Whip is a. That's a trans. It's a. Sorry, it's a cantrip. It's not even a first level spell. So she could be Thorn Whipping people, I suppose. That's only like
0: 3d6 in this form. And this form is not meant to hang around much. I mean, it's only 13 armor class with 70 hit points. And in terms of concentration spell, I don't really have conjure animals or moonbeam would be the best one. Sleep actually I was gonna both them. Sleet storm is the one I was thinking of. That is the ongoing icy thing. Ice Storm is the instant damage one. So maybe we'll keep this on the GM layer, her real stat Um we'll have her as the possessed frost druid here, where she won't appear very, very strong. And maybe that'll help balance the fight a little bit, because I think Baelish will be very strong. They're not prepared for what he can do.
1: And then obviously the I, I haven't even looked at the Ice Devil. Like this, I think this guy is just a bruiser. Other than Wall of Ice, which we've seen him do, he makes three attack: one with its bite, one with its claws, and one with its tail, or makes two attacks: one with its spear and one with its tail. If it has the Ice Spear. Reduced by 10 feet. It can either
0: take an action or bonus action each of its turns, not both, and it can't take reactions. Oh, it can slow people with its spear. That's pretty devastating. But if it does that, it only gets two attacks. Still a plus ten to hit. So it does a temporary slow. Actually, it's not even temporary, it's ongoing. You just literally cast the slow spell as part as part of the spear.
1: Target can repeat the same through at the end of each of its turns. Yeah, that's nuts. It's got a slow debuff on it. Oh, boy.
0: Fun stuff on that. I'm definitely taking advantage of that shit. Probably not gonna have it summon a devil, that's just a pain in the ass. Uh, Wall of Ice? Maybe. Creature in space is pushed out of the shortest route. Creature chooses which side of the wall to end up on. So you can either make a... Wall... But you want to cast it on people, because that's what does the damage. Walls one foot thick up to thirty feet long and ten feet high, or a hemi spherical dome up to twenty feet in diameter. You're going do a circle or a line. The wall appears, each creature in its space is pushed out of it by the shortest route. And then I think they have to make a deck save or take a bunch of damage. So you could encase everybody in a circle. And of course, and if it overlaps them.
1: Twenty feet in diameter is not very well, it's actually pretty decent. Yeah, that's pretty decent. That's a decent sized circle. Probably the best thing to do is to put them all in the circle and then... anybody who's not like in the immediate middle of it... would have to make that save. Is it concentrating on that too? Creature finishes moving through the Frigid Air. If a section is destroyed, it leaves behind the Frigid Air
0: they have to deal with. Last lasts for one minute or until the Devil is incapacitated or dies. Okay. So it just it's not even concentration, it just stays. It's weirdly on a recharge, though, and it doesn't say it goes away if you cast a new one, so we could just make multiple walls. That is its action, though. Yeah, although the party does have very impressive ways of maneuvering around. But, that you know, it's also a good chance to just get them to show off all their mobility skills. Their various teleports and flies and shit. It does have magic resistance. I feel like the ghost of Nassil Antomir should have magic resistance, but probably the Frost Druid that she's occupying does not. Ocar Wizard have magic resistance. He does not either, um, and they don't currently have legendary resistance either. So unfortunately, if the players go pretty quick and they have the right kind of spells, they might be able to
1: just shut some of these guys down. Be a bummer. I did not give them currently legendary resistance. Anyhow, whether I need to do that. It, if if I ever get really locked down, I could just have. The
0: druid scream and have the Nessalantamere ghost pop out and execute that fight from there. And I, if the battle's going badly for the players, I could hold back on summoning these Deathlock Whites also. Or if the time is just not on our side. I will have a bunch... I have four of them ready to go. Up to four that I can spawn whenever the ghost actually appears. So I'm, I am I am leaning towards I am going to have her still occupying the Frost Druid body because that was kind of what happened currently after she exited Valin's body. So they'll have to make it through that, and I will just use the legit Frost Druid stat block, which I actually haven't used all game this, this campaign, which is kind of interesting, even though the Frost Druid has appeared in multiple situations. No, that's not true. I think I did use Frost Druids when I think about it. No, I did. That was, it was um, in Aurel's, and I know somebody's going to correct me if I didn't think of it real quickly. In the the Aurel's Abode chapter, one of the players were getting to Grim Scala, I believe I had Frost Druids riding a bunch of um, Arctic creatures as kind of guardians of the site and they did have to battle there. So I think, uh, and I believe they got their asses kicked from what I remember it was a pretty brutal fight for me. Players just unleashed a bunch of their powerful AOE attacks and it went down pretty quickly. I don't even think I got much off there, so I wasn't able to use their stat block necessarily very effectively. And I expect her to go down pretty quickly too, which is why I'm pretty much just planning on having that one Ice Storm go off, and then barely paying attention to round two, because I think she'd go down pretty fast. But maybe the Ice Devil will draw some aggro, we'll see. hit points for those guys. Deathlock White's not very powerful defensively, which is good. That's kind of what I want from a minion, um, unless they're designed to be tanks. But I don't need them to be. We've got the Ice Devil as your primary tank here. Um, the whites uh, rolled pretty bad hit points for them too, all of them have under average uh, mainly there as they've each got their own fear and hold a person as well as a pain in the ass life drain ability or they can fire their little grave bolts. <laughs> The ice de- now I keep the ice devil very, um, like it's just business, <laughs> like it wouldn't be I never even established him in necessarily like a evil or conniving or mustache twirling uh, in fact really none of the People here are probably that way. Uh, Nass and Baelish would be the closest to that, but uh, they still have, they're just ambitious and megalomanic, I suppose, we will kill anybody to get their way. Or sell their souls to this Ice Devil, apparently. Each person was form the right to get an entry. Oh, and then one thing I thought of is if for some reason the players are really doing a good job of not forcing any kind of fights here. If I really want to just up the tension level a bit, uh, I could have my and Golem appear in the distance and start breaking up the action, basically, and saying his spiel about uh, you know curfews and effect, all you know, whatever that line was, and this laser blast start coming through toward the players, like fuck, and and that would hopefully have a cool moment of them, you know, the classic um, uh, scene in Return of the Jedi where they're trying to get into the fortress. Uh, Han and leia and them and they're you know at the keypad trying to get in and uh there's this big battle happening all around them i would love to try to recreate that sc- uh, scenario but you know i'm not the only one scripting things here but I-, I can maybe try to at least force a bit of action and tension in the scene if i have that golem appear and then you could have even a background information of like avarice sensor forces to fight the golem but the golem's like you know stamping on th- and and the ice devil you know is sent over there to protect his charges and it's, you know, they're they're getting like some errant beams, blasting them in the distance while the players are trying to get in to this site. Or maybe they're about to even throw down a fight and the shardow golem appears. And then that's what distracts the players to be able to get inside really quick. That that could be a possibility, but if if it turns into a more traditional battle here, where it's like, oh, we're just gonna throw down with Baelish and Nass, I'm probably not going to roll with the Shardland Golem. It's basically in my back pocket as a if if I need it to create more action and drama here. But I'm kind of hoping that there will already be action and drama unfolding here. So I may not uh, have to do it. On the other hand, if for some reason the players are getting their asses kicked by the villains. And I'm particularly worried about them. Which hasn't really happened much in this campaign. Then I can also have the Shardle and Golem appear to help break up the action. And then that would force you know people to retreat. And then maybe the players can drag themselves uh, inside the Spire. So it's it's still there as a possibility. Um, I think it might even still be partially on this map. It is. In fact, I need to hide it because it's on the token layer. And I made it hilariously gigantic. Present hall pass. Even come from this direction, which would be helpful. Put it over in the corner and make sure we put it on the GM layer for sure. So, I'm kind of thinking we may not actually get into the spire itself. Um, I will have, just in case, the opening, you know, room prepared and be prepared to run this battle with the three brains in a jar. Uh, I guess the magin is there, but I'm going to use it as a way of just, like, welcoming the players to the Spire. Basically, the whole thing, you know, the players are expecting as as dangerous as Aethrin has been, kind of a hostile environment, and instead it won't be. It'll be mostly, you know, this illusory, like, oh, everything's fine, and we're the, you know, castle on the hill or whatever where we just think everything's been fine forever, but it's all illusory, and all these you know wizards who did survive and haven't turned into Nothics uh, have just completely lost their minds as brains in a jar, and they've been using all their power to just try to pretend like things are uh, have never changed. And once the players start moving through the area and experiencing the illusions, they will see, maybe the illusions will start like fragmenting or things, and then I can uh, have a battle with these brains in a jar. In terms of the rest of the area, though, I'm going to have to really plan things out and decide if it's uh, worth running some of these other rooms that are just kind of empty and almost pointless, at least on this level before we get to uh, the next level, which I does I do think it's more interesting and basically unlocks the way to the final battle. But, you know, it would be nice to have a little bit of an exploration dungeon crawl at some point in these sessions because we've been doing the city thing, which I think has worked out decently well. We've, you know, some random encounters between each area and then each area. Has allowed a little bit of a tiny stuff thanks to the expanded Towers of Etherin and then some custom stuff I've done where I've we've still been using you know battle maps for a lot of situations but haven't necessarily had a full on like okay we're exploring a space we're opening doors and that kind of thing which I'm hoping this can uh, help check that box a little bit in which case I don't necessarily want to skip anything but I would need to make it at least an interesting space to explore. Alright, I think that is going to do it for this episode of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. As always, thank you so much for the patrons. Shout out to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Dan, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Coa1337, Big Not John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, Eric, Sox, Dan, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Big Shep, and Andrew. And gold patrons, RPG Paper Crafts, Free and Emma, Marcus, the Lizard Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spud, Jerome, Nathan, Fast Like a Tortoise, Scott, Rufus Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you for d tomorrow, and for some of you patrons, I will see you uh, tonight for the DM Roundtable. Bye.